Do you have a boycott list? A list of companies you refuse to do business with for ideological reasons? Have you noticed that the Democrats have gone full-blown socialist in recent weeks? Did you ever believe actor Jesse Smollett's crazy story about being attacked by MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporters in Chicago? We're going to talk about all of that and more here on the American Culture Podcast. Episode 10 of the American Culture Podcast. I'm pretty excited. Episode 10, it did not come as fast as I thought that might happen uh, when I first started this journey, but I'm very glad to reach this milestone and I'm glad you're here with me listening to episode 10, sharing the experience with us. I hope hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far on the podcast. I'm Earl B., the creator and host of this podcast, and today... I have five current topics to discuss with you that are shaping American culture. The topics include, number one, fun with boycotts. Number two, the Democrats' masks are slipping. Number three, Jussie Smollett may be going to prison. Number four, an update on President Trump's Southern Wall. And five, are we about to finally get a collusion conclusion? I'm so glad you've taken the time to join us. Now let's jump into our five stories for this episode. Number one, fun with boycotts. I'm calling this topic. And with this topic, we're going to have a little fun. I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, how political are you really? Are you on the red team or the blue team? How hard do you try to be loyal and an ideologically pure supporter of your team? Do you grapple with nagging guilt if you feel you're being a hypocrite? We welcome, of course, folks from all across the political spectrum to listen to the American Culture Podcast. But of course, this show has an editorial viewpoint that is pretty solidly conservative. So I try to live by my principles and support my team. But given the political climate in America today, and given the relatively new phenomenon that so many companies today have abandoned the traditional political neutrality of the marketplace and taken a side in the culture war, it's hard to live as a principled conservative today. You know, it used to be corporate attitudes were pretty solidly in Michael Jordan's corner when Michael said, hey, Republicans buy sneakers too. You know, and that's why he chose to stay out of political fights most of the time because he wanted to sell Jordan tennis shoes basketball shoes to everybody, left and right, all across the spectrum. Today's corporations, for whatever reason, because I don't think it's economically sound, so many of them are eager to demonstrate to some audience of potential buyers out there that they are woke, that they are with it, politically correct, and on the right side of history, as the social justice warriors like to say. And that can make it hard because... You know, you want to buy the best products, you want to buy the products that serve you well, that do what you need them to do at the price you want to pay, you want to have that freedom. 
But at the same time, you don't want to be putting money into the pockets of people who either hate you or who are opposing your political agenda or who are actively pushing for a political agenda that you think is wrong for our country. You don't want to finance your opponent. So it makes it hard. And I'm going to go through you know, my list, my boycott list. Uh, and boycott there probably has to be in huge air quotes because you're going to see I'm not the best boycotter in the world. But you're going to see how quickly the list gets pretty long. And uh, and you're going to see the, the struggle that, uh, that I have anyway, my wife and I uh, have in trying, you know, to be good conservatives, trying not to finance or give succor to the, uh, the opposition. But I wanted to go through my list um, kind of as a fun exercise to share with you uh, the struggles of the modern uh, culture warrior. First on the list, and this is a pretty recent addition, is uh, Johnny Walker uh, whiskey. Johnny Walker Black is my, has been my uh, choice for my kind of my daily nightcap, my nightly nightcap. Uh, I learned some time ago that Johnny Walker Black was actually Winston Churchill's scotch of choice uh, for much of his life. He would have uh, a Johnny Walker Black going uh, almost all day, every day, as he went about his business of uh, preserving uh, Western democracy against the tyranny of the, the the Nazis led by Adolf Hitler. And it tastes good, and it comes at a reasonable price, so I always thought this was a great fit. Johnny Walker Black, that's uh, that's my daily, my daily scotch of choice. But now... We learn recently that they, they are big supporters and sponsors of the recent Women's March. Okay, now the Women's March, they've lost support of the Democratic National Committee has bailed out on them, okay, because there's been so much anti-Semitism attached to the women leaders of the Women's March that people are bailing out left and right not to be associated with this terrific strain of anti-Semitism. Yet... Johnny Walker remains a sponsor of the Women's March. Further, in promoting their sponsorship of the Women's March, they've taken attack of not only publishing slogans and posters and so forth on their website that empower women or seek to empower women, which is fine. You know, I'm a proud father of a daughter who I've sought to empower throughout her whole life. I'm a proud husband of a wife who's amazing, who I've sought to empower through her whole life or the life we've shared together anyway. You know, my mom's a wonderful woman. I'm all for her being empowered in her life. No one's against women's empowerment, but when it takes an anti-male stance and then goes into an anti-president of the United States stance by publishing posters for these supporters of the Women's March to carry around that say resist, resist. Well, once you've gone over to the resist side, I can't give you my money anymore, Johnny Walker. So first on the list, very reluctantly, is Johnny Walker. And I actually had to go to the local uh, Total Wine store. It's cute. They call it Total Wine, but it's an enormous warehouse-sized liquor store uh, dressed up as a wine store. Um, but that's where I go to stock up my, my uh, liquor cabinet. And I had to do my post-holiday stock up of my uh, bottles of scotch that I, that I keep. And uh, had to get off the Johnny Walker and pick up some uh, some other. Uh, mostly, I went with the Irish whiskeys this time, 
some that I haven't haven't drunk before, but I'm looking forward to branching out with my taste for Irish whiskey. Johnny Walker, number one on the list. Number two, sadly, because I supported this product for years, is the Mozilla Firefox web browser. And I, you know, I had some folks that I work with who were very tech savvy turn me on to the Mozilla Firefox web browser years and years ago. Um, and uh, I used it loyally for, for probably a decade or more. And then they got political on us. How political can a web browser get? But it's a Silicon Valley company. And uh, they, the workers of the company, the shareholders of the company forced out the company's CEO because he once sent a campaign contribution uh, to the uh, political campaign here in California that was opposing gay marriage. One campaign donation to the uh, anti-gay marriage uh, proposition on the California ballot, and everybody was incensed enough to push this guy out. Well, if you're willing to fire your CEO who grew that company the way he did, uh, merely because of a single political donation, A, I think it's a terrible shame because uh, I think uh, any worker at any company has a right to a political voice and a right to support political causes of their choosing without fear of losing their jobs. Um, so that's A. B, you're not going to get my support. Okay, so I had to drop Mozilla. Uh, for lack of better options, I turned at that time, and that's years ago now, to uh, Google Chrome, uh, which uh, previously I tried and didn't like. It's now a very good browser. It's a very good browser. But now I'm stuck because I read stories in recent days that the Google Chrome browser is going to start uh, disabling ad blockers. And if you've spent any time at all on the web, you know an ad blocker for your browser is vital to uh, for your sanity, to speed up load times, to get rid of all the pop-ups and other distractions that try and hijack your time on the web. So I've been off of Mozilla Firefox. I may now have to get off of Google Chrome, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Do I go back to Mozilla? Do I forgive them and assume that they've learned their lesson since I've been punishing them for so long? Or do I find some third-party outfit uh, to go with um, besides these two? Tough choices. The third company on my list is Gillette, okay, which is best known for uh, you know men's razors and uh, shaving cream and that sort of thing. And this is super annoying because they recently came out with uh, some commercials on television, you know, basically treating their customers, the men who who pay the money to buy their products, basically telling them they're all brutish thugs who mistreat women and that they can do better. And it's like, come on, Gillette, what are you doing? Now, yeah, maybe there are some brutish thugs out there, but gosh, you're painting with an awfully broad brush to just say, hey, men, we all need to do better. Um, it was a terrible message that, that they sent, insulting to their uh, their loyal customers who do shave in an attempt per to perhaps be more appealing to other potential customers who don't shave. You know, maybe young millennials with their scruffy beards that don't shave them very often. Or maybe young women millennials who don't shave their legs or their underarms very often. Why would you piss off so many customers that shave every day and have bought your products for decades in an attempt to win an audience and a customer base that, that doesn't shave as frequently. It makes no sense. Um, 
And that really annoys me because, I mean, I literally, to save money, I buy my Gillette razors in bulk. I tend to buy them off of Amazon 50 at a time to save money. And I have about 40 Gillette razors still in my cupboard from my last purchase. And I'm trying to decide, do I use those razors since I already paid for them? Do I throw them away? which wouldn't be good for the environment because they're plastic disposable razors. Do I give them to a shelter and go buy something else? I don't know what to do. And I got it. And now I'm to the point where I have to go out and find an alternative razor and alternative shaving cream to use. So annoying. Number four on the list is Nike. And I'm going to admit, you know, my boycott of Nike has not been uh, ironclad. Of course, it's, it's because of their support of Colin Kaepernick who has made a habit of being hateful and disrespectful toward uh, law enforcement, our police officers, as well as disrespectful of uh, the American flag. And I'm not going to support that. And I'm not going to support a company that decides they want to give a bunch of money to a guy who does that. So I'm, you know, I'm on board the Nike boycott, but I'm going to be honest. It's not a hundred percent. I'm going to be honest even further and tell you, I actually bought, a pair of Nike walking shoes about three weeks ago. I went to the local, our local shoe store that we like to go to off Broadway shoes. It's called, it's a big warehouse shoe store. They've got everything. And I looked at all different shoes and I wanted to buy the Asics shoes or the Puma shoes or the Adidas shoes or the Reebok shoes. And I tried everything I could find. And the only shoe that was adequate as far as fit and function and cost, despite my disappointment in myself, I bought a pair of Nike shoes, which I've been very happy with on my walks in the last three weeks, but I feel a little bit of guilt with each step. Now, you know, despite my breaking down there and buying a pair of Nike shoes, I've been pretty good overall in the boycott. We haven't bought any Nike t-shirts and shorts and underwear and golf balls or anything else um, since the whole Kaepernick debacle, but I will admit I did buy a pair of Nike shoes because in this whole warehouse of, of shoes, they were the only ones that fit right and uh, were going to serve my purposes. So um, I feel bad about that, but I do like my shoes. Number five, Dick Sporting Goods. You know, Dick Sporting Goods, after the Parkland shooting, not only decided that as a company they weren't going to sell uh, firearms anymore, basically. Um, they also decided we're going to start lobbying politicians uh, for gun control. So that's fine if you as a company, I guess, want to say, yeah, we don't feel great about carrying this particular product anymore. That's fine. I, you know, I, It is a free country. But when you decide you're going to take your corporate dollars and lobby to curtail my constitutional rights to defend myself and my family, now I'm annoyed. So Dick's even though it's the best sporting goods store in uh, the area here and the, it's the go-to place, you know, we haven't got, we haven't stepped a foot into a Dick sporting goods store um, since Parkland, you know, since the Parkland shooting. And that one we've been sticking pretty good with. I actually had to go out to buy a, a pair of uh, running shorts the other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And I went to the big five sporting good in town and I'll tell you, the Big Five Sporting Goods town in Tustin, where I went, it's a pretty sad little store. Um, I'm surprised, frankly, the doors were still open. It seems like it, 
it, it has a feel of a place that's on the verge of closing down. But I went in there and I actually found a pair of Russell athletic shorts that I bought. Uh, walked right past that Nike rack of shorts, which would have been the, the obvious solution for my needs. Um, so number five on the list, Dick Sporting Goods. And we're so far, we've been pretty good on that one. Number six is CNN, the Clinton News Network. And I've, I haven't been watching CNN since 1992, generally. Although I'll admit, I do watch some of their history stuff and some of their uh, documentary stuff. They do some stuff on the history of rock and roll that's been good, the history of comedy that's been good. I used to watch um, some of the Anthony Bourdain stuff, although toward the end he was getting a little weird. Um, you know, Anthony Bourdain killed himself, obviously, uh, this last uh, year. And um, a little bit of irony there. You wonder if, you know, did the hashtag Me Too movement, the politically correct hashtag Me Too movement, did that really end up killing Anthony Bourdain, you know? Because we learned in, in the days following his death, you know, that, you know, the the girl he was madly in love with at the time, Asia Argento, uh, he had helped Asia cover up her own sexual abuse scandal. And I, you wonder if uh, Anthony Bourdain felt a lot of guilt about that uh, in the days leading up to his suicide. Um, and the other thing I want to say about CNN and Anthony Bourdain is could CNN – be any more crass in capitalizing on the memory of a dead man. I mean, they've been running Anthony Bourdain marathons, it seems like, since the day he died. And I haven't watched any of it. And I've thought it's just incredibly tasteless to be running those shows um, on the eve of, you know, the wake of his death over and over and over again. Um, pretty classless of CNN, I think. But again, since they began covering the Clintons back in the early 90s, uh, and it got nicknamed the Clinton News Network, which was quite apt of a nickname. I don't watch them for news at all, but I do watch some of their special special programming because it's pretty good. Uh, number seven on the list I have here is just the mainstream media generally, which I have noted uh, hashtag fake news. I, I just don't watch ABC, NBC, CBS, ABC, PBS, uh, frankly, even Fox um, for any kind of news-worthy uh, coverage. I watch some of the other network shows. My wife and I enjoy some of those, but I do not watch my news on any of the mainstream media outlets. Number eight is Hollywood in general. The Oscar shows, the Grammy shows, any of the award shows, we absolutely do not watch because we don't want to be turned on to our television to be insulted to our faces. And I'll admit it's mildly gratifying to see how Poorly, those shows have been rating the last year or two, especially since uh, President Trump got elected. Uh, and we try to be selective about, about what movies we go to. We do pay attention to the controversies that surround films that with uh, messages that um, are directly opposing, you know, our own political uh, views, especially if it's unnecessarily so, you know, if it's they're trying to be cute about it, clever about it, and underhanded about it. We're not going to support that. If it's a good movie with a good story, uh, that uh, doesn't, you know, insult us in some way. You know, we'll go, but we're pretty selective about when we go to the movies. Number nine, and I've not been good in this one, but I throw it on here just because it's been on my mind and it makes me feel bad sometimes. So it's on my list, even though I'm not terribly observant about it. And that's the NFL. And of course, they're on the list for the 
the, some players kneeling during the national anthem, for the league not doing a very good job of uh, solving this problem and getting the players to understand that uh, they need to respect the national anthem, respect the flag that, that represents the values of our country and the history of our country, notwithstanding the imperfections of our country, because we all understand uh, it's a journey. You know, America wasn't perfect at its founding, and it's been struggling and grasping and working since then to get better year by year. And uh, But you need to respect um, what that flag stands for and not disrespect it because of one particular issue that you find troubling at the moment. Now, I'll be fair. I, I, as I say, I've been watching the NFL this year. I'm a football fan, pro football, college football. I watch. I don't watch baseball very much. I watch almost no basketball. I watch a lot of football. And uh, I did notice in the ads this year, the NFL was going out of their way to honor military veterans and other and patriots and their families and so on and so forth. So I think the NFL is learning their lesson. Hopefully they'll continue to do so. Hopefully they'll be able to get that lesson to the players and they can put this uh, – sorted episode behind them and I don't want to feel guilty about watching the NFL and I can drop them from my list. Number 10 on my list is, believe it or not, the Catholic Church and our current Pope. This Pope is driving me crazy with his social justice warrior nonsense. He seems to be a full-blown socialist, if not a communist. Um, He's got his own problem with pedophiles, pedophile priests, sexually abusive nuns, and all other manner of things. He doesn't need to be lecturing uh, the United States of America because we're going to build a wall at our southern border. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't need to be lecturing us about, um, you know, income inequalities. You know, capitalism has produced more wealth for mankind overall as a whole than than any at any other time in human history. Um, our poor people are the envy of poor people all around the world the standard of living of people in poverty in the United States exceeds the middle classes in most countries in the world. Uh, so this, this new Pope um, is really getting on my nerves and I will admit it has greatly impacted my attendance at church and for now and possibly long into the future. Cause I've had about enough of the Catholic church. Number 11 on the list is a uh, Starbucks. Now, this is a pretty easy one. I'm not a big coffee drinker, okay? But, of course, it's on the list because uh, the CEO of Starbucks, who's now apparently going to run for president, you know, had a couple years ago had to, one of his baristas to have frank talks with his customers about race, okay? And I don't need my barista hectoring me about race relations in America, okay? That's, that's not what I'm going in there for a cup of coffee for or a brownie or a muffin, or a hot chocolate. Um, so that's awfully off-putting. And then you got the whole thing about Christmas with Starbucks. They want to capitalize on Christmas with their green and red decorations and green and red cups and their flavored coffees and, and treats at Christmas time. They want to capitalize on Christmas, but they can't bring themselves to actually utter the word Christmas or wish you a Merry Christmas or put the word Christmas on their cups. It's pretty annoying. And now, of course, their CEO is going to run for president as a quote-unquote independent. Um, against uh, President Trump. So they're not going to get my money. And again, I'm not a coffee drinker, but we sometimes have coffee drinkers visit our home and I have to buy coffee for our little coffee maker 
so we can serve it to our guests. And we do not buy uh, Starbucks coffee at the store for our coffee maker. A little bit of a sidebar there, Schultz. Uh, you know, come on, baby, run for president. Because uh, I think, uh, you know, the Starbucks CEO, to the degree people are going to vote for him, those people are going to be much more likely to be uh, Democrat votes than uh, Republican votes being peeled off to vote for that guy. So if he can dampen that down the, repo- the vote for uh, the Democratic can- candidate in the uh, general election in 2020, more power to him. Number 12 on my list is Target, okay, which has been on there for a while now. How long has it been since we've uh, Target announced their, their policy of allowing grown men to go into the uh, ladies' restroom where we send our daughters to take care of their business? Um, so, yeah, my wife was the most most vociferous advocate of our boycott of Target. It has not been 100%. We've, we've uh, backslided a little bit at times on the Target boycott. Um, we do occasionally stop in there, but not nearly as often as we used to. And we do actively look for alternative sources for our various items that we used to get at Target. So they're still on the list. I think still think it's preposterous that uh, any business would take, um, a policy that would allow grown men into the bathrooms with, uh, with young girls. Um, and, uh, Target is, num- is, remains on the list at number 12. Number 13 on our personal boycott list. Again, we don't do a very good job on this one is REI. They're fairly new on the list. Uh, And they're on the list because they recently announced they were going to stop selling goods from a particular supplier because that supplier also, as part of their business, sold uh, firearms. Um, So so REI was going to stop buying bike helmets and goggles and things like that from this company because that company also sold to other entities weapons. Thus, REI trying to choke out a company supplying firearms to people who want to exercise their constitutional right to bear arms. Uh, it's pretty annoying. So REI, um, I haven't, haven't been 100% in my boycott of them, and I don't buy a ton from them anyway, but they're on my list. I need to keep it in mind and uh, check myself when I have the urge to go down to REI because we have a really nice, large REI store uh, nearby our home. But uh, So REI is in there at number 13. 14 on the list, which made the list just because I remembered them, even though we don't really have a camping world around us. But camping world is number 14 because their CEO bashed Trump supporters who expressed uh, support for the president's comments following the Charlottesville Antifa riots. And this guy, CEO, basically said, hey, if you if you agree with the president's comments regarding Charlottesville, I don't want you stop shopping at my store. So I don't shop at his store, uh, but I wasn't shopping at his store anyway. So that's kind of a uh, pretty easy stance for me to take. Uh, but, you know, if it matters to you, I, it's, I figure I'd include it on the list since I remembered it anyway. Number 15 on my list is Expedia. And we've been pretty good with this one. And it's not easy. This is not an easy one to be good at. Um, and they're on the list because they hired Chelsea Clinton to be on their board of directors. Uh and Chelsea, of course, is supremely unqualified to be on the board of directors of anything. Uh, she had ever done a goddamn thing in her life. Excuse my French. And uh, I'm not going to give my money to a company that's going to give anybody related to the Clintons a nickel. Now, it's, this is hard because it's not just website, one website. Because Expedia owns Hotels.com. They own Trivago. They own Orbitz. 
They own Travelocity. They own Hotwire. They own HomeAway and many other uh, maybe less uh, well-known sites. So to avoid Expedia when planning travel and booking travel is a challenge. Let me tell you how you do it. You go to their site and you can do all the research you want, but don't book through them. You know, go go find uh, your Marriott Hotel, your Hilton Hotel, your Motel 6, whatever, whatever it is you like. Um, gather the information at Expedia or Trivago or whatnot, but then go directly to the website of the hotel or business that you want to patronize and book directly through them. And don't allow Expedia to get the credit or the money for being the intermediary in that uh, transaction. Uh, same thing, and I would advise this generally as free travel advice for you. Uh, you know, do your airline research with on any number of airline websites or uh, that are out there for for research purposes. But always go once you've decided which one you're going to buy. It's always a good idea to book directly with the airline's website. So if there's ever a problem, they can't point the finger at a middleman and say, "Oh, Expedia messed up. You need to go talk to Expedia about this ticket we just canceled or this this uh, refund we're not going to give you." You know, book directly with American or United or whatever your airline of choice is. So if there's a problem at any point of your trip, it's strictly between you and the airline. There's no third party that can have their the finger pointed at them um, and leave you, in, you know, as a third man out in an argument between Expedia and uh, your airline or your hotel. Number 16 on my list is Netflix, which, again, I'm doing horrible here on this one. Um, Netflix, of course, recently signed a huge deal with the Obamas because the Obamas are going to provide them or be executive producer or something on some sort of content that Netflix is going to uh, then show. And I'm sure it'll be lecturing, social justice warrior, hectoring stuff, explaining, you know, having Obama explain to us why we're all bad people. I should be more vigilant about not watching Netflix, but I watch Netflix. So I have to live with the guilt. Number 17 on our list is uh, Delta Airlines. You know, uh, don't fly Delta a lot, so this hasn't been uh, too much of a hardship. But uh, Delta, they ended a longstanding relationship with NRA where NRA members could get discounts to fly to NRA conventions and so forth. And Delta pulled the plug on that. Not a huge egregious violation, but annoying nonetheless because this is part of this um, phenomenon of, you know, the lefties in general, corporations in particular, wanting to blame the NRA because some lunatic grabs a gun and goes and kills somebody. And it makes no sense at all, okay? It's like we're going to blame, I don't know, General Motors because some ISIS terrorist grabs a, a truck and plows down uh, pedestrians you know, in a marketplace. I mean, it makes no sense. The connection between the NRA and these people, these crazy people that are out there killing people is non-existent. Okay. It's non-existent and it's, it's, it's stupid and offensive, uh, to link the NRA to these murderers. Uh, it's, it's libelous, frankly, slanderous and libelous. And so to see any comp company out there, you know, try to punish the NRA and its law abiding members for something that some mental defective did with a, with a firearm, uh, is, uh, Really annoying. So Delta's on the list. Although, again, we don't fly a lot of Delta anyway. Diet Pepsi is number 18. They're another company that 
I'll probably take them off the list before too long, but they've always just been kind of on my list because back uh, in the 2008 timeframe when Obama, Barack Obama was campaigning for president, Diet Pepsi changed their logo on their cans to look an awful lot like the Obama campaign logo. And that just irritated me. And it wasn't any express embrace of the Obama campaign, but I thought it was an implicit embrace. And frankly, I was just in a situation where I didn't want to be seen holding a Diet Pepsi can so that people would mistakenly believe I was supporting Obama for president because the can looked so similar to the Obama campaign logo that I'm sure you know people would think that if you're a Diet Pepsi drinker, that somehow indicates or flags your support for Obama. So you know we're now 2008, 2008, we're now 11 years into this and Obama's out of the White House. I could probably let Diet Pepsi off the hook, but I wanted to be uh, completely open and candid uh, with you guys in the podcast today, just to let you know how twisted my mind is on all of this uh, this uh, political loyalty stuff. Number 19 on my list is Sitgo Gasoline, C-I-T-G-O. And the Sitgo uh, Gasoline folks are owned by the socialist totalitarian government of Venezuela. And uh, that brutal regime, you know, with horrible human rights record, um, I didn't want to prop up that regime. So I, we, my wife and I have been, we've been boycotting Sitco for decades now at this point. And uh, I feel pretty good about it because I recently saw a news story. I got it printed out here somewhere where uh, President Trump actually uh, finally, after all these years, lowered some sanctions on Sitco to uh, kind of free some of their ad- assets here in the U.S. So I'm glad that the U.S. government is finally on board my longstanding uh, boycott of Sitco gasoline. And who knows, maybe it's adding up the city of the country, of course, of Venezuela. It's going down the tubes because socialism has once again failed the people. You know, it's always instituted in, in order to uh, benefit the people. You know, lots of promises for what socialism is going to do for the people. And it's going to raise everybody up and make everything fair. And inevitably, everywhere it's been tried in history has failed. And it's failed the people and it's brought them down into misery and chaos and caused widespread death and carnage. And um, no different in Venezuela, as we're seeing right now. The next group, uh, 20, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, five uh, companies, they're all kind of tech companies. And they all have something they all kind of share in common this issue of deplatforming of conservatives, which I've talked about in previous episodes. And uh, each of them is on the list basically for how they've treated folks like Dennis Prager and his uh, entity Prager U, which is a fantastic educational outlet teaching people about uh, uh, many things, historical things, traditional um, conservative values. Um, it's a, it's really an invaluable resource for folks. I encourage you to check them out. Uh, it wouldn't take you hard to find out, you know, Google it or duck, duck, go it as the case may be. Prager U. Uh, similar treatment being afforded by these different platforms to Professor Jordan B. Peterson, whose, uh, whose work I, I support with my wallet. I actually give uh, a little bit of money each month to support Professor Peterson's work. Um, and these platforms have been uh, hostile generally to conservatives uh, in a variety of ways. So, you know, some of them, you know, pe- the left we see, they love an advertiser boycott. So they, they've tried to get advertisers to boycott 
just about every show that that exists on the Fox News channel. They've tried to take down advertisers of Rush Limbaugh over the years, sometimes with success, sometimes without success. So number 20 is Twitter. 21 is Facebook. 22 is Patreon.com. 23 is Spotify. And 24 is YouTube. You know, Twitter, they're just flat out hostile to conservatives. The liberals and lefties can say the most hateful things on Twitter, and Twitter will let those tweets stand and not sanction uh, the account holders. A conservative can and will get banned for almost anything on a Twitter, such as responding to a horrible racist terrorist threat on Twitter. If you dare to react in kind to the person that's attacked you, you know, you'll be the one sent on timeout on Twitter. So, you know, they have got a terrible lefty bias and are incredibly hostile to uh, conservatives, which raises the problem. So what do you do as a conservative? There's some people that think, oh, you should leave. You You should leave Twitter. Don't be on there. But, you know, this is a culture war we're in. And if you abandon the field to the left, if you allow them to push you to the sideline, they win in some sense. So I'm of a mind, I don't boycott Twitter. I'm on there and I'm, you know, do what I can, you know, to to carry the cult, the conservative message in a in a respectful way, but a forceful way, to that platform and try and get win the eyeballs and win the argument, and don't allow the Democrats and the liberals to own that platform and push us to the sidelines. And I feel the same way about Facebook. Facebook is hostile to conservatives. They, you know, I laugh. I've got we have the American Culture Podcast page on Facebook, and the amount of traffic that we don't get there is astonishing uh, because I won't pay money okay, to, to have them push my page. And I actually did once do a campaign on there that paid money to try and increase the number of viewers and subscribers to our page to almost no effect at all. Um, so they, they clearly have all the conservatives off in a cul-de-sac somewhere and have it, have the settings tweaked such that you know, our pages do not appear on anyone's search. You could search for topics that are exactly the topics we're talking about on our conservative pages, and the average user is never going to see those pages because they will not come up in the search. Um, but again, I'm not going to abandon the platform. I'm not going to abandon the fight. Um, we have our own webpage where we host our podcast, and I hope to get a little more active with adding a, kind of a more blog posts, blog-type posts uh, to the page in between the published uh, audio podcast episodes. But um, I, I refuse to abandon Facebook and Twitter, at least so far, you know, to the left. Because uh, I think you're I think you're admitting defeat. I think you're admitting somehow that you're in the wrong, that your opinions and viewpoints are somehow in the wrong um, if you just walk away. Now, there's the hope that if we, if we did, if you did boycott and you did walk away, that the thing would collapse. I just don't know that it would. I don't know how long. I don't know how long that would take, and how long we would therefore be effectively invisible in the public discourse if we were to just walk away from it. I don't know if you know about Patreon.com. They're number two on here, twenty-two on here. Patreon provides a way for content creators uh, to raise money to support their work. So if you're a podcaster or a writer or a artist of you know musician of some sort there's any, any you know lecturer you name it there's any number of ways to do it but you can set up a, a page on patreon.com and people can go to your page and sign up to be a, a patron 
of your work and, uh, and support you to the tune of a dollar a month or $5 a month or whatever the case might be. And it's a really nice way for content providers to uh, achieve some financial support for what they're doing. Um, but they've been expressing hostility to uh, conservative content in recent months. Uh, folks like Prager University, Jordan Peterson, um, have had to uh, leave the platform, basically forced off it because of Patreon's lack of support. So I'm a, uh, I've been planning to get onto Patreon. I, I'm going to have to explore alternatives just to see what else I might do because uh, I do want to set up some sort of a fundraising option for the podcast here. 23 on the list is Spotify, which really annoys me because I love my Spotify. I'm, I'm a premium subscriber. And if you know me, you know that's a big deal because I'm a notoriously cheap when it comes to paying for things that I can get for free. And of course, there's a free version of Spotify. There's free versions of um, Pandora. But I love Spotify because I'm able to have my playlists on there and listen to them commercial free. Um, I really enjoy my Spotify, but they are refusing to take ads from folks like Prager University or Jordan Peterson and conservatives. And, you know, if they want to limit the ability of conservatives to get their voice out there and their voice heard and get it put out there in front of people who would be receptive to the message, right? Cause the, the advertising is targeted to people who are going to be receptive to the message. Um, that's super annoying. So I'm having to rethink and I haven't made a decision yet, but I'm having to rethink my decisions, my, uh, continued support of Spotify. And number 24 and the last one on my list is, is YouTube. And again, it's the same thing with the deplatforming folks that put up, um, whether they're web, uh, uh, videos about, uh, firearms safety or reviews of different firearms or that sort of thing, or whether they're just religious, conservative religious messages or conservative messages generally, um, YouTube has been very hostile to conservative voices. And uh, I'm not on there presently. Um, I'm going to have to think about whether I want to go on there, but I wanted to have it on this list for you guys' benefit. So there's you know, my list of, uh, again, in air quotes, boycotts as a, as a conservative trying to be uh, somewhat true to my conservative values and then having to live with the guilt of my own uh, inability to be completely true and completely staunch uh, in upholding my own boycotts. And if you go out there and, and Google or DuckDuckGo search for uh, lists of conservative boycotts, you can find any number of web pages out there with lists much longer than mine of things that conservatives, quote unquote, should be boycotting. But I'm wondering, you know, what do you boycott? Do you boycott anything or am I the only crazy one? If you do boycott something that you'd be willing to share, you know, uh, Go find the go find us on their webpage, AmericanCulturePodcast.com, and throw a comment down there below uh, this podcast episode and share that with us. Find us on Twitter. Our Twitter hand, handle is uh, AmCulturePod, A-M-C-U-L-T-U-R-E-P-O-D, which, of course, is short for American Culture Podcast. So hit us on Twitter. Go like our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash American Culture Podcast, and throw a comment down there on the the post about this pod, about this particular episode. I'd love to hear from you to see if I'm the only crazy person that's trying to boycott or if I'm missing something critical on my list that I need to add. Do I need to go to around 25 uh, because I'm missing something? So, so there's fun with boycotts as I, as I classified it. So story two though, 
for today's episode, I call uh, socialists or Democrats, drop the masks. You know, one frustration I have always had with in battling the left is that they are never honest about what their real goals are. They always act offended, going, going back generations. They've always act offended when they're accused of being socialists. How dare you call me a socialist? They always speak in platitudes about their, their final objectives. They want fairness and justice and equality. But when you ask them to define exactly what fairness and justice and equality mean for them, they become very squishy and evasive. Nobody wants to take away your guns, they'll say. Oh, we're only after common sense gun control. You know, nobody wants to kill babies. As President Clinton said, abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. And Obama told us, if you like your health plan, you can keep your health plan. And that, you know, liberals have announced the end of welfare as we know it, and on and on and on. They're great with their platitudes and their squishy slogans, but you can never pin them down on the specifics, which makes it hard to campaign against because you say, I want X, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I want X too, just not quite as uh, harsh of an X as you want. And uh, so they can always set themselves off as being the more reasonable alternative to whatever stance you might stake out because conservatives are happy to be specific. We're happy to give you a vision. You know, what will American look like under our vision of, you know, conservative ideals, but Democrats will never tell you what, what their vision looks like. And uh, that's why this, these last few weeks have been a really great time to be a conservative. Okay. Democrats in recent weeks, uh, probably emboldened by their success in retaking the House of Representatives, the socialists in the Democrat Party have, have let their masks slip. There are now about 20 Democrats who have already indicated an interest in being the next president of the United States. And instead of fighting each other for the votes of moderate voters, voters who, by the way, don't tend to donate very much to presidential campaigns, they are instead already fighting very hard to win the woke vote trying to out-liberal each other on the radical leftist fringe of American politics. It's pretty ironic that conservatives are the ones who are always labeled far-right by the media, but nobody in the media dares call to call today's Democrats far-left. But the people will see through it uh, soon enough. So what have we seen just in the last two to three weeks that uh, has me excited about uh, the 2020 re-election? And I mean that. Well, we've got new freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, known almost universally now as AOC, okay? Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is the socialist congresswoman from Queens and the Bronx in New York, and she announced uh, in the last couple of weeks her Green New Deal, okay? And uh, let me grab that, put this stack of papers over here and grab the, the Green New Deal here. So the Green New Deal FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, went up on uh, Ocasio-Cortez's website a couple weeks ago, uh, about a six-page document outlining her ambitious plan uh, to put the nuts and bolts described in this city, a massive transformation of our society, it says, with clear goals and a timeline. And this thing is just an amazing wish list, a dr- Democrat dream wish list of all the things that they could do if they had a magic wand. And it truly is magic wand talk. So, but the beauty of that is, again, 
they've always talked about being for clean air and clean water, but they can never put details on it. But this Green New Deal puts so much detail on it. And you can see her dream is a socialist, if not a communist, paradise. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to read it all to you. Okay. But uh, uh, not only is it an environmental wish list, it's a, it's just a generally political, social justice, economic wish list to destroy our economy, to replace, you know, to reduce emissions to zero. We're going to have renewable energy for anything uh, that won't include any nuclear power. Uh, so it's all going to be windmills and solar power, I guess, that's going to drive every vehicle in America. It's going to power every building in America. It's going to power every factory in America. And we're going to pay for all this because the federal government is just going to pay for all of it um, through printing more money, essentially. Um, but it's going to all be great because it's also going to include free health care for everybody and free education for everybody and housing for everybody and welfare for those who uh, are unwilling or unable to work. Yes, unwilling or unable to work. It's just fabulous, This uh, the Green New Deal published by Ocasio-Cortez. And I don't know if any, any of you are followers of uh, Saul Alinsky. And by follower, I don't mean disciple. I mean, are you aware of him? Because the, the Clintons were a big fan of his, and they, the, Saul Alinsky has essentially written the, the playbook for the Democratic Party over the last uh, generation. And uh, one of Saul Alinsky's uh, rules is that ridicule is man's most potent weapon. And it's true. And uh, the Democrats got a little taste of their own medicine as far as ridicule goes because uh, it only took a couple of days for the Green New Deal FAQ to, to be torn down off of Ocasio-Cortez's uh, website because she was getting mercilessly mocked for her uh, Green New Deal. But we love it because so many of the Democrats' declared presidential candidates came out in support of the Green New Deal, probably before they read the details of it. You know, so many other prominent leftists came out in support of the Green New Deal. Again, probably before uh, they had gotten the real details of it. But the beauty is, again, as we go to the you know, voting booth in 2020, we can remember this Green New Deal, and it's going to be preserved forever. Even though they took it down off their website, people grabbed a copy of the PDF file, and it's available out there on the web if you go looking for it. And they're going to hopefully, hopefully the voters will, will remember what these lefty Democrats really want to do to their country uh, over the next 10 years if given their way. So... Good job, AOC. Not to be outdone by her own work on the Green New Deal, of course, Ocasio-Cortez also was able to defeat Amazon uh, this last week uh, by forcing them to pull out of New York City and costing the constituents, mostly constituents in her own district because the Amazon facility that they were going to build in New York was going to go in Ocasio-Cortez's district and provide 25,000 jobs to people there. But she forced them to leave because... She was throwing up, she and other politicians in the area, but mostly her, were being so vociferous and opposing the tax breaks that that uh, local government had and state government had promised to give Amazon. And Ocasio-Cortez took the, uh, the incredible position that the $3 billion in tax breaks that the state and, local, and the city were going to give Amazon will be better spent on, for instance, the subways in New York. So we should force Amazon to not come and use that $3 billion for better things. 
But Ocasio-Cortez, despite, I believe, having a degree in economics, maybe it's only a minor in economics, despite her supposed education in economics, doesn't understand, apparently, that that $3 billion does not exist yet. That $3 billion doesn't exist unless Amazon comes into the city, builds their facility, employs all those people, and generates all that tax revenue, of which a lot would go to the city of New York, a lot would go to the state of New York, and under the deal reached, some Amazon would be allowed to keep. They would not have to be be required to pay the normally ridiculously high taxes of businesses in New York. They would be basically get a break on the taxes they'd have to pay to the tune of $3 billion over 10 years or whatever it was. But that money, if, if Amazon doesn't come, that $3 billion doesn't come. And there's no money to pay for the enhancements to the subway, Congresswoman. So you got you have to wonder how the uh, the decision to cost her constituents 25,000 good well-paying jobs is going to go down when uh, AOC runs for re-election in uh, uh, in 2020 coming up faster than she realizes I think. So that's been uh, the AOC uh, story the last couple of weeks. We'll shift now to congressmen or governors in uh, KK hoods. Or is it governors in uh, blackface? You know, the state of Virginia has a governor who, it turns out, although running on a platform against the Republican in the general election, painted, and I use that word advisedly, painted the Republican candidate as the racist one. Now, shortly after taking office, it turns out that Governor North, what's his name? Northam. Yeah, Northam. N-O-R-T-H-A-M. Turns out Governor Northam has a bit of a racist past on a, of his own. Um, a picture surfaced uh, out of his medical school, medical school yearbook. Not his junior high yearbook. Not his high school yearbook. Not even a fraternity picture out of his college yearbook. But in his medical yearbook, a picture surfaced on his page in the yearbook for which he selected the photos that were going to go on the page of two individuals standing on a stage. And one of them was painted in blackface in what is universally condemned these days as a very racist portrayal of black people to use blackface in such a way. Although apparently it's much less racist for Democrats to do that than for Republicans to do that. One person in blackface and the other person standing next to him wearing a KKK robe and hood. And, uh, most of the coverage of this has speculated, and I think the government, the governor has fed the speculation that he was the one in the blackface, and uh, there's no mention of who might have been the fellow in the hood. And initially, the governor admitted, oh, yes, I'm in that photo, and I'm ashamed, and I apologize, I'm terribly sorry. And then, I don't know, a couple of days later, he came out and said, well, I, I was wrong. That's not me in the photo. Um, I was mistaken, but I did put on blackface at some other time, and for that, I'm sorry. And the whole thing is just super bizarre. But I think people have been too quick to fall for the misdirection because I don't think he's been completely clear that he was the guy in the blackface because he's now said, I wasn't in the photo, which I don't believe, you know, because it's his photo that he provided to the yearbook to put in the yearbook on his page. I think he is in the photo and I'm suspecting 
he's not the guy in blackface in the photo. My personal speculation is he's the guy in the KKK hood. Because I think if he was the fellow in blackface in that photo, he would say, oh, terrible me. I was in blackface. That was so racially insensitive. I can't believe it. Uh, And he would take the heat and ride the thing out for being the guy in blackface. Because I think he knows, had it come out, that he was the guy in the KKK hood, there basically would have been no surviving that politically. But he has not clarified that point. And I would think that if, you know, if you were in that position of being accused of being either the fellow in blackface or the guy in the KKK outfit, if you were the one in blackface, you'd you'd cop to that right away to avoid being painted, as I say, as the fellow wearing the KKK hood. Um, I think the media has been going along with this and kind of everyone's just kind of running with the assumption that he's the guy in blackface in that picture. And I don't know if that's the case, but in any event, there's your governor of uh, Virginia. Okay. The one that ran on not being the racist in the campaign, apparently in med school anyway, incredibly racially insensitive. Meanwhile, while the pressure mounted on the on the governor of Virginia to resign, it turns out that the his deputy governor uh, also has a problem because the deputy governor was involved in a situation involving sexual assault, I believe. And then it turns out that the uh, attorney general of Virginia, also a Democrat, all three of these guys, also had a blackface in his earlier years problem. So the top three Democrats in the state of Virginia are in a world of hurt. And uh, it's very revealing because certainly there was a lot of uproar and a lot of condemnation and early calls for resignations and so on and so forth. But when it all sorted itself out, it turns out that if the governor resigns and the lieutenant governor resigns, not deputy governor, lieutenant governor is the the phrase I was looking for, and the attorney general of the state of Virginia resign, then a Republican member of the legislature steps up to be governor. And as soon as everybody did the math and sketched that out on their cocktail napkin and realized that if we keep calling for these resignations and it actually happens, a Republican is going to be governor of Virginia, all of a sudden the calls for resignation died out. And now there's all kinds of calls for reconciliation and listening campaigns and listening tours and uh, sensitivity training and all this sort of stuff. Uh, no, no more calls for the governor uh, to resign, um, which frankly is probably better for Republicans because we'll have that to campaign on in 2020. Well, you know, if the Republican out of the, out of the legislature had elevated to governor of Virginia, he probably wouldn't have been effective. Everyone would have called him illegitimate in some way. Nothing would have been accomplished. That meanwhile, the racist Democrats would fade into the background and be forgotten about, and it would have freed up the uh, the Democrats in 2020 to continue to accuse Donald Trump of being a racist. But they're going to have a harder time playing the racist card now that they've been covering up and allowing uh, the governor of Virginia to remain in office despite not just imagined racism, but clearly demonstrated actual racism. So interesting what's going on in Virginia. In, a, in addition to being a racist, however, it turns out that uh, the governor of Virginia, Governor Northam, uh, is a baby killer or wants to be a baby killer or is willing to let other people be baby killers because 
both Virginia and New York recently passed legislation allowing uh, abortion, uh, you know, if, if necessary for the health of the mother up to and in fact possibly after the birth of the child. Okay, now the, the Democrat defenders of this legislation in New York in any case will say, oh, it's only allowed up to the, at the end of the second trimester, 24 weeks but not beyond that, except for the exceptions for health of the mother and so forth. And health of the mother can include mental health, social health, you know, any number, any kind of excuse you want to come up with that is a loophole you could drive a truck through, a loophole you could birth a baby through. Uh, and the governor of Virginia jumped in and said, yeah, well, if the birth was happening and then the, the mother decided or said that she wanted to have an abortion, what we would do is we go ahead and deliver the baby and, and, uh, and make it comfortable and take care of it while we, while we had a discussion with the mother, whether she really wants to have an abortion or not. And then depending on the, upon the outcome of that discussion, the abortion could then happen to the baby that's already been born, which is astonishing. So Virginia and New York going whole hog on the abortion on demand at any time, including postpartum abortions, a horrible political stance to take. A horrible thing to do, horrible law, but from a political perspective, it helps clarify things because I think, you know, one party, the Republican Party has been the generally the pro-life party, although not perfect on that score, and the Democrat Party has almost without exception been the party of death uh, when it comes to, to, to newborn children. So uh, having these stark... Uh, new laws on the books will clarify things for the voters when they are called upon to pull the lever, so to speak, at the next election, and they can decide which of those two stances on abortion uh, is more consistent with their own moral beliefs and with their own character. So that's newsworthy. Then we got anti-Semites in Congress. We got Representative Ilhan Omar, uh, newly elected from Minnesota, out there making anti-Semitic remarks and then being forced by Nancy Pelosi and other leaders in the, of the Democrats leadership in the house of representatives to make apology for her anti-Semitic remarks. And so she made apology, which comes across as completely insincere and no one at all advise her apology. She's an anti-Semite and the Democrats are going to have to live with that because when she got elected, every outlet was hailing how wonderful it was that this, Muslim woman from Minnesota was elected to the House of Representatives and was going to wear her hijab there and uh, show how multicultural and diverse, you know, of course, the Democrat Party is. And isn't this great? So they held her up for adulation. And it turns out she's uh, racist. And they're going to have to live with that. And I don't think she's going to shut up. So they're going to have to live with that hard through the 2020 election. And they're going to be the party that's har that elected and harbors true races, you know, notwithstanding their, their attempts to continually to paint all Republicans all the time as racist. Um, they've got people who, with very recent history of very demonstrable racism, in elected office in their own party. So that's another gift to Republicans in the last few weeks. And then we got... Uh, a lot of uh, elected Democrats out there promising to abolish or to try to abolish 
if they're given an opportunity, private health insurance. Remember, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Well, those were, of course, all turned out to be lies. And now we've got folks like uh, Democratic Senator Kamala Harris of California, Democrat Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, Democrat Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, all calling for the abolition of private health insurance and instead pushing for this Medicare for all idea, which, you know, is completely contrary to if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. It's nationalized public health insurance would outlaw and and abolish private health insurance, which I remember seeing studies before Obamagare got passed that 85% of Americans were happy with their private health insurance plans. It was only 15% of Americans that had a serious problem with their health insurance. And those are the people that were, you know, unemployed and uninsured or had pre-existing conditions and therefore were unable to get insurance. I mean, they were tough cases, but together they comprised about 15%. And rather than come up with a solution in a free market scenario that would adequately cover that 15%, the Democrats chose to throw it all out and go whole hog national health insurance with Obamacare, which of course has been a disaster and has not been anything like it was promised to the American people. It was a huge lie from beginning to end. So it's nice. Again, I don't think these things have a chance in in the world of passing in the next couple of years or the next 10 years, but it's nice to have these leading uh, senators from the Democratic side uh, publicly advocating for it. And this is going to be a, this is going to be an issue in the campaign coming up in 2020 for the Democrats. We're going to have these 20 Democrats beating up on each other, fighting each other to be each each of them fighting to be more left than the other. And uh, it's going to make it wonderful for President Trump running for re-election to point out to the American people all the leftist promises and campaign issues these people staked out during the primary. And they're going to try to run from them. They're going to try after trying to be the most leftist person they can be during the Democrat primary. They're going to pretend that they're the moderate one come the general election. But I don't think President Trump's going to let him get away with it. So, you know, all of this activity here as we uh, begin 2019, set up 2020 as a very winnable election for President Trump. I've seen it noted many, many places on the web. All the Democrats had to do to waltz to victory in 2020 is to not be crazy, but that's just too much to ask of them. In 2016, Hillary lost to Donald Trump because too many voters thought Hillary was just too distasteful as a person and too far left as a candidate. She wanted to put coal mines out of business and she considers normal Americans to be deplorables. The Democratic response to Hillary's stunning rebuke has been to lurch even farther to the left. Now, this has been a great few weeks of letting the Democrats show us who they really are. Please, I'm asking you, pay attention to what you're seeing. And please remember what we are seeing right now when 2020 rolls around. Because these are the same Democrats who want unlimited abortion, crazy environmental crusades, who wear blackface and KKK hoods, who are filled with anti-Semitic, racist hatred, and who don't think twice about killing 25,000 good jobs in their own districts, who want open borders. These people are going to try to convince you that they didn't really mean what they said in 2019, that they are really the moderate, reasonable ones, and that it's Trump and the Republicans who are the extremists. 
and the mainstream media, which now includes the tech giants such as Facebook and Google, Twitter, Apple, and Microsoft, they'll do everything they can to suppress conservative voices and drag the Democrats across the finish line to victory. Don't let that happen. Now, our third story today, we're going to have just the last three today are going to be pretty quick. Number three is that uh, Jesse Smollett, uh, I guess, well-known actor on the, the TV show Empire, although I've never seen the TV show Empire and I'd never heard of Jesse Smollett until just a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, he is a liar and could very well go to prison. And his story is his story of a unbelievable attack uh, in the middle of one of the coldest nights of the year, if not the coldest night of the decade in downtown Chicago by two white men wearing MAGA hats and walking around downtown Chicago with a uh, noose and some sort of bleach in a can that they assaulted him, insulted him, and left a noose around his neck uh, and ran off into the night. Um, apparently that story is, is not true. Now, of course, did anybody really believe that that happened? I mean, I... I know a little bit about Chicago. I've spent some time in Chicago. My daughter lived in Chicago. Um, a cold night in Chicago, first of all, everyone's bundled up. No one can recognize anyone because if you have your face uncovered, you're going to have frostbite on your nose and your ears and your lips. So nobody's walking around in a way where they could be recognized. And no one's going to recognize some two-bit actor from the show Empire at 2 a.m. on the streets of Chicago. So the idea that the, the two white guys are walking around downtown Chicago in MAGA hats and are going to recognize this guy, it, it was preposterous. This The whole scenario made no sense. Chicago is an incredibly diverse city, a uh, very large black population, very liberal population overall. The idea that two Trump-supporting guys in MAGA hats are walking around at 2 a.m. looking for trouble was absolutely preposterous, not to mention that this thing smelled like a fraud from the beginning, the whole noose. I mean, every trope out there um, made it smell like a, an absolute hoax from the very beginning. And the police have been very diligently investigating it and treating Mr. Smollett as a quote unquote victim. But it seems pretty clear now that they were pretty suspicious of his story all along. And they've now found uh, his two accomplices who he recruited to help him stage an attack on him who purchased the rope in a nearby apartment, uh, a, a hardware store. Uh, it, as it turns out, and this reminds me of a, of a meme I saw on uh, Facebook, uh, which is hilarious. Where, where can I find this thing? It talked about immigrants doing jobs um, that uh, Americans won't do. And it says, when America is so great, that you have to hire two guys from Nigeria to oppress you. Uh, and it's got a picture of Jesse Smollett. So that's, it's hilarious. But um, it's just a one, another in a long line of these hoaxes. And it's very disturbing. I got to find my note here on that. There was one, I had a, a list of some of these hoaxes that I wanted to share. Just a very short um, list. Cuomo and there we go. When America is so great that you have to hire two dudes from Nigeria to oppress you. That's hilarious. Look, here's a, a tweet. It was on Twitter from uh, Kurt Schlichter. And he's, he points out that the Duke lacrosse rape story was a lie. 
The University of Virginia fraternity rape story was a lie. The Covington kids' recent story of uh, being abusive to the Native American man, a lie. The Justice Kavanaugh, you know, rape story, a lie. Um, every other campus noose story we've seen, a lie. And of course, the Jesse Smollett story is a lie. Um, they're all lies. You know, have we seen an actual campus noose thing that was an actual, uh, actually done by a, a redneck trying to intimidate African Americans? Uh, these things never turn out true. They're always plants by the alleged victim almost every time, crying out for help, uh, crying out for attention, or just trying to create division, you know, in the case of college campus, to create division on campuses, to paint Republicans as, as evil people. Look, it's fair to disagree with Republicans over policy. Let's have a fair debate. But the Democrats instead resort time and time again to trying to, to paint those who disagree with them politically as evil people. And it's a, it's a bad trend. It's not good for this country. It's not, it's not good for the people involved. Uh, you know, stand up and have, a, have an informed debate, have a fair debate. Let's have a fair election and resolve these things like adults, not, not like children. So I smelled this thing out, this Jesse Smollett thing out uh, from the beginning. And it's actually worse than I thought because he actually knows these two guys. He hired them uh, to stage this attack. They, they've left the, they left the country, I believe, and got arrested upon their return. And it looks like Jesse Smollett is going to be charged, frankly. And, he, and I, I saw stories today. He could get up to three years in prison if um, convicted of filing a false police report. And that looks like a pretty easy case to make at this point. Story number four tonight is going to be the update on the President Trump's southern wall. Um, uh, you may, if you've been following the government shutdown and so forth, you know that uh, the president uh, agreed to sign on to the deal uh, to reopen the government uh, and continue operations through the rest of the fiscal year in exchange for about $1.5 billion in money for a uh, for southern wall, you know, far short of what he was seeking. And then he immediately uh, declared a national emergency uh, uh, over the, the situation of the southern border. And uh, the only thing I want to say about that is, you know, we discussed this, uh, I think, in our last episode about his option to declare a national emergency. I predicted that he didn't want to do that because it's going to immediately get tied up in the courts and some judge somewhere is going to find that his his decision to declare a national emergency is somehow illegal and improper and issue an injunction and tie the whole thing up in the courts. It's going to have to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And what, the funny thing is, right after the president declared the national emergency, he was telling reporters that they're going to, people are going to sue him in the Ninth Circuit and some judge is going to issue an injunction and they're going to have to appeal it all the way to the Supreme Court before they're going to win. And uh, so I'm glad the president and I are on the same page. I'm not sure exactly why he's still doing this because there's a Congressional Research Service report out there circulating. Um that makes clear the president probably has legal authority to reprogram some federal money in the Department of Defense to build this wall, even without declaring a national emergency. Although declaring the national emergency does give him some additional powers, but it also is going to subject him to getting tied up in the courts. But my, my suspicion is he's okay with that because if, as long as the Democrats are fighting him in court and tying him up in court and 
engaging in improper judicial actions to, to stymie the powers of the president and carrying out his uh, constitutional duties. He must figure uh, in the chess game he's playing compared to everybody else's checkers match. In the chess game he's playing, he has to figure that plays better to his base and plays better to the voting public than him just folding and taking his $1.5 million billion and going home. So, you know, he's proven himself pretty adept at uh, high-level strategy games up till now, uh, despite everyone's doubts about his abilities. So you're going to have to trust his, that, he's, that he's making the calculus correctly right now. But the thing I wanted to point out was when I heard about, you know, national emergency, I wasn't sure exactly how common that was or how wise that was. But I wanted to point out that uh, apparently since the law was passed uh, in 1976, giving the president the authority to declare a national emergency under certain conditions, there have been 58 national emergencies declared by presidents going all the way back to Jimmy Carter, of which 31 of those national emergencies going all the way back to Jimmy Carter are still in effect. And the first of those, the earliest of those is still in effect, relates to the Iran hostage crisis. And they cover all kinds of things dealing with financial transactions with Iran and Iraq and Somalia and lots of oppressive regimes around the world and the movements of money and the movements of people and the movements of goods, you know, under all kinds of scenarios. And some of them are pretty, you know, they don't seem to be, frankly, significant enough to rise to the level of a national emergency. And I think the situation on our southern border um, is probably more significant than the vast majority of the 31 existing national emergencies that are already in place. So I was actually heartened by that because it shows that this decision by the president isn't out of bounds or unusual. The humorous part's going to be watching the Democrats get so excited that all of a sudden they're going to be for curtailing the power of the executive. And of course, when their guy was in office with his pen and his phone, they were all excited to see an active executive uh, enacting his agenda, you know, without the cooperation from the Congress. But now that it's Trump, now that the shoe's on the other foot, all of a sudden they're going to be a bunch of uh, advocates for for a less powerful executive. So I wanted to uh, highlight the uh, 31 existing national emergencies uh, out there for you, for you to use in your day-to-day discussions with your neighbors. And then the last uh, item for today, item number five, is collusion conclusion. And the question here is, are we finally about to see the end of the Robert Mueller investigation? You know, the, the bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee recently issued a report, and this is important. It's the bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee found they issued a report finding no direct evidence of any sort of collusion between Donald Trump or the Trump campaign and the Russians. And now we're starting to see um, some very some oddly consistent news stories coming out, people offering up their their informed opinions that Robert Mueller may be about to wrap things up and he may not even issue a final report. They may just go ahead and conclude the prosecutions that have already been started for the people that have already been charged, wrap those up and head quietly into the night with his job done. Maybe a short report reporting to the Department of Justice because that's how the law is set up that he's concluded his investigation and that no charges are warranted or no further charges are warranted, but there's not going to be, according to a lot of this speculation right now, 
you know, an exhaustive detailed report of what did and didn't happen and what was and wasn't found. He just may, once he has nobody left to charge, close up shop and go home, which, you know, it, it's, you know, I want this thing to end. Um, but I wonder, you know, if these reports are true, that this thing's about to wrap up and that we might not even see a report, you know, don't the American people deserve to know, you know, as president Nixon put it about 45 years ago, back in November of 1973, don't the people deserve to know that their president is not a crook? I think that the American people deserve that. I think especially the American people who voted for Donald Trump and who have been reviled by their neighbors, you know, deserve to hear that the guy they voted for is not a crook. And I think Donald Trump deserves that. He's been president of the United States for two years now under very trying circumstances, under the shadow of this investigation. And if the investigator concludes that no, there's no evidence of collusion, which is the thing he was charged with investigating. Uh, I think he deserves a public statement from that investigator that no evidence supporting charges of, of collusion, whatever that is, um, that no, no evidence to support that was found. Because um, I, I think the, the people need to hear that. And the president deserves, if not an apology, at least a statement that he was thoroughly investigated and nothing was found. So that he can go forward with the balance of his presidency with, with a clean bill of health and the legitimacy that would be conferred by that. If Robert Mueller merely slinks off into the night and doesn't say anything, the president's detractors are going to always say, oh yeah, there was tons of stuff there, but he didn't feel like he could charge it for whatever reason. It, the political fix was in. It was a would have been a constitutional crisis. I mean, I think the president deserves some sort of statement uh, exonerating him if in fact that's what the evidence showed. Um, so keep your ears open. We might be, we might be seeing, uh, a collusion conclusion in the coming weeks. We'll, we'll see. So those are our five topics for today. Uh, please stay tuned after this short musical bump to learn more about our podcast, how you can be in touch with us and how you can help us grow. you've enjoyed this episode of the American Culture Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our show, we are on the web at AmericanCulturePodcast.com. That's all one word, no spaces. We're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash American Culture Podcast. Again, no spaces. And we're on Twitter at twitter.com slash amculturepod. Our Twitter handle at amculturepod, A-M-C-U-L-T-U-R-E pod. We now have almost 13,000 followers on Twitter. If you could give us a like or a follow or a retweet or a share on Facebook and or Twitter, that would be awesome. Ours is a new podcast, and you can really make a difference and help us grow our audience by subscribing to the American Culture Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, on Stitcher, on Google Play, or on whatever platform you found us. If you really want to be a superhero, you could go the extra mile and write us a five-star review. I would be very grateful. All content of the American Culture Podcast is copyrighted by Earl B. and AmericanCulturePodcast.com. 
The views and opinions of the host and any guests, as expressed on the podcast, are solely those of the speakers and not of any other person or organization. Thanks for sharing this time with me today. Let's meet back here again real soon.